Edmonton, Canada has the nation's first hydrogen-powered buses in regular transit service, plus the largest electric bus garage housing 50 battery electric buses. On today's episode of the Transit Unplugged podcast, we visit the city of Edmonton, where I sit down with Deputy City Manager Eddie Robar, a former guest on our show, on board one of his two hydrogen-powered buses, and we talk about the transition to alternate fuels and their constant hunt for innovation in this cold, northernmost city of the Western Hemisphere with over a million people. Then come with me as I visit Kerry Houghton McDonald, who succeeded Eddie as GM of the Edmonton Transit Service, as we tour through their huge Kathleen Andrews Bus Garage, which is named for their first female bus driver. Inside, they house hundreds of buses, including 50 of their battery electric charged ones, and she describes how it all works for the vehicles and their drivers. We also discussed their oldest in the nation light rail vehicles and their newest LRT route that opened the week before we arrived. I actually rode that route to the Edmonton Oilers game, and you can see it in all the hijinks and fun we had on the ride on our Transit Unplugged TV show on YouTube this week. Plus, you can see the bus Eddie and I talked on and the whole garage as Carrie walks us through on this audio podcast. And as always, we share the food and fun of the city of Edmonton plus highlights from the Canadian Urban Transit Association, or CUDA, conference that was being held there at the same time. Check it out when you're done this podcast on our YouTube channel, Transit Unplugged TV. So, Eddie, what does it mean for cities like Edmonton, which is known for its oil, but now you're looking into all these other clean energy sources like electric and hydrogen? Yeah, I think the great thing about Alberta is, you know, we are known for our oil, but uh, really we're known for our energy. So when you look at hydrogen, you look at the work we're doing on the hydrogen space, it's really about the energy movement for Alberta. Alberta is prime for the work we do. We're definitely well-versed in the energy sector. Like we have the people here, the talent here, the technical ability to do all this work. So being innovative, being on the forefront of this work makes it a lot easier when you have all of this around you to be able to do that. We've been in the hydrogen space for over 50 years, whether it's been through different different industries, but now we're looking to say, to change that that momentum for the, the province of Alberta and, and really convert our, our province into that number one delivery of, of sustainable fuel for the world. And obviously that comes with an energy background and how do we do that? So, you know, being known for the energy that we do have and changing ourselves to a more sustainable fuel is a great place to be. For us, you know, that electrification journey for us started with our battery electric buses and now we're pushing into the hydrogen space and that pivot. But really it's about how do you convert electric fleets? And I think one big question we've had from a lot of the people that, that have run transit systems is, what's your plan and how do you get to the point where you're getting 100% electric fleet? Well, how do you build that out? And, and we do that through different ways. One, where we're using our electrification program was a start, a battery electric. Now we're pivoting to hydrogen electric. We're building a brand new transit garage that's going to help us do that. We call that our swing garage. So when you look at the electrifying fleets, you need a place, infrastructure, places where you can do this work and build that out in your fleet. So we're looking to build a new transit garage, which will be built in this budget cycle. We're starting to build it. That garage itself is built for hydrogen electric buses and that conversion, but also diesel. So we're taking, we have five different garages right now. We're going to be filling up that new garage with diesel buses and then converting the fleet over and turning that fleet over. Then we're going to build another garage after that that's only electric. So we're able to kind of pick up those electric vehicles, ship them over to a new garage, and then do the process all over again in that garage. So we move all the buses, diesel buses into the uh, swing garage, convert the fleet over, then move them to the new garage after that. You also build like, I think the biggest battery electric 
garage in Canada or America. What was that about? <laughs> yeah, I think for us, we were, uh, like I said, we're not afraid of innovation. We're always talking about, you know, how do we spark the industry, move to electrification. At the time, for us, battery electric was kind of the way to go. Uh, we wanted to test that in, in that theory of battery electric in cold weather climates. Uh, we want to do that in a real tangible way. We have a thousand bus fleet. We have 60 of those buses that are electrified right now and battery electric buses. We were able to really test whether or not that'll be good for our climate, making sure that we get the range that we need out of the vehicles for a bus is a bus is a bus. Uh, we didn't know we didn't want to do on-street charging. We wanted to have in-depot charging, which you'll see in our, our transit garage here in Kathleen Andrews, which is a fantastic garage, uh, but shows you that showcase of in-depot charging, what that means. But for us, it's about range. Everything is about range. So are we going to get the range that we need in the cold weather uh, I, I always tell people, I don't care what a bus can do in the summer. I only care what it can do in yeah. minus 20 or minus 30 degrees. Yeah, that makes and sense. we're learning that as we're kind of building that out, right? So that electrification program started there. We learned a ton. Uh, we shared a ton with the industry on on what we've learned and where we're at and, you know, all of those things that people can avoid that we maybe did not so right in the first uh, the first foray when you're kind of those ones on the forefront of innovation. But uh, And now we're on the forefront of innovation with the hydrogen sector too. And we think this pivot for us is going to give us what we need to really manage our program here in Edmonton. So, Eddie, we're sitting here on one of your uh, hydrogen buses at the Canadian Urban Transit Association Conference on the showroom floor. You have the first couple buses that are powered by hydrogen in regular operation in transit. So tell us about how all this works and what you're doing here in Edmonton. Yeah, sure thing. So this, this bus is powered by a hydrogen fuel cell, a Ballard hydrogen fuel cell. It is really the conversion of our battery electric program. We're going from battery electric and now we're pivoting to the hydrogen space. And we're doing that with our fuel cell electric class. This is a fully electrified bus. Really, it's the first real 100% electric bus that we have because the battery electrics we have actually have a diesel heater on board. So this is the first fully electric bus for the city of Edmonton itself. Uh, it has a hydrogen fuel cell from Ballard. Uh, really, oxygen comes into the fuel cell itself. We take hydrogen from the tanks above. We have 36 kilogram tanks on the roof. That hydrogen gets pushed into the fuel cell. We mix that with oxygen and the chemical reaction inside that, that fuel cell creates electricity, energy for us to propel the vehicle forward. So that, that byproduct of this fuel cell is heat and water. So uh, out of the tailpipe, it just comes nice, clean water. Seeing people drinking out of the tailpipe, believe it or not. Uh, but also the heat from the fuel cell, we recover to heat the bus itself. So unlike the battery electric buses where you're looking at at heating that bus through a diesel heater, we're able to recover the heat off the fuel cell and build that uh, into the bus itself and really warm that vehicle from there. So it gives us extra distance. Big great thing about this bus and why we pivoted more to this hydrogen electric bus is because of range. So we look at range degradation in the wintertime. It's it pretty cold here in the city of Edmonton, you can imagine, in, in, the, in the winter. So in order for us to get the range that we require from our bus, we really are looking for that bus to go about 400 kilometers or more in our service. And this bus here, the range at minus 20, minus 25 has been giving us about 450 kilometers of, of distance, which is fantastic. And, uh, and we don't get, we don't see that range degradation that we're getting out of the battery electric buses. So we're pretty excited about the hydrogen program itself, what this first bus means for the city of Edmonton, building the hydrogen economy here in Alberta and being that number one producer of hydrogen for the world. Uh, you and I first met each other several years ago, I think at another Canadian Urban Transit it Conference, was, maybe yeah. in Calgary. It was, uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, we got to interview you then. And then you were called the branch manager of the Edmonton Transit Service. Tell us what that title means and what's happened in your career since then. 
Yeah, so uh, the branch manager of Edmonton Transit is really the director of all transit services in, in the city of Edmonton. So I'd moved from Halifax, where I had uh, ran the transit service there. Oh, where Dave uh, is now. Where Dave really yeah. is now, yeah. And uh, I moved over to the city of Edmonton to run their transit service. I did that for about five years. Uh, I'm a long-term, long-time transit guy. I've been in transit for uh, 20, 20 years Okay. before moving out of that space and into more of a fleet and facilities role. So I was looking to kind of grow the scope of my career, um, looking for an ability for myself to move up, obviously, and uh, and kind of did took a little lateral move in, in the, the work that I did. But obviously, as the branch manager, really looking at transit service is kind of a passion of mine, and it's always been a passion of mine. So uh, when this job came up as the deputy city manager of city operations for the city itself, that includes ETS, waste services, parts and roads, and fleet and facilities. Uh, our fleet group works uh, with the buses, uh, the transit buses, and then obviously ETS uh, runs the service and the trains. So it was a no-brainer for me to kind of jump back in that space and be able to make sure that, you know, I still keep my hat in the ring on, on everything transit. The strategy that going forward, how do we build programs like these electrification programs and, and how we build out the city to be, you know, one of the best transit systems in the country. So, yeah. so talk to... Um, a young person, maybe in their 20s or 30s, who is in public transportation, yeah. listening to this program about possible career paths and how you and I chose similar ones, yeah. transit into kind of a larger local government role. Yeah, I think it's funny because um, like I started as a transit scheduler. So I, I came out of university, you know, my degree wasn't in the space of transit, fell into a transit role not long after I graduated, started as a scheduler, built myself up through that, that platform to running transit systems, and then eventually into this this more political, you know, role, but an influencer role in terms of what we're able to do and how we're able to guide and, and kind of steer the direction strategy of, of transportation systems, but of cities as well. And I think the the ideal thing for me and the, the move for me was really about city building. And when you look at city building, you know, great cities have great transit. And that was always in the back of my mind is, you know, how do you become bigger part of that that city building conversation versus just the operation of a transit system. And and how do you use that transit system to influence the way we shape cities? Yeah, I interviewed uh, Marco for the podcast yesterday, Marco D'Angelo, uh, who is the executive director of CUDA. And he talked about the study they just had out on housing and, uh, and housing improvements. And we talked through all the details of the study's recommendations. It really is a much bigger picture for public transportation, we're not like in a silo by ourselves. We're serving larger aims, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, as far as, you know, integrating what it means to to what a transit system can provide for a city, you know, it's multifaceted. You know, it's not just, you know, buses running up and down the street or trains running up and down the street and moving people to a job every single day. It really is something that influences life that can can help ease people's lives and can make things easier for folks. And I think as we build the housing situation out, you know, getting more affordable housing, but having that that burden of transportation off your mind as you're looking for places to live um, is, is a huge benefit. And having a transit system that supports that and builds that out and offers a much more economical option for people to, to co-locate or to be in places of the city where they thought they might not be able to be and, and live and have their kids grow up and, and be a part of that network just based on a transit system uh, is a pretty awesome opportunity when you look at reshaping cities. Thank you. Registration for Trappies and Vontas's annual Think Transit Conference is now open. Join me and hundreds of your transit industry peers at one of the most anticipated conferences of the year. If you haven't attended Think Transit before, let me tell you a bit about it. 
Think Transit is a conference where transit and rail professionals gather to make strides in leading mobility technology. Think Transit delivers practical, hands-on training coupled with insights from industry thought leaders and your peers. Over three days, you'll immerse yourself in mobility trends, explore solutions for industry challenges, and engage with transit experts from across the globe. Plus, there's a special all-day executive summit on Monday, hosted by me, Paul Comfort, for transit executives from transit agencies, and they share best practices and tackle industry challenges together. Each year, we hear from attendees who tell us the best thing about Think Transit is everything they learn inside and outside of the sessions and how they built a list of connections from across North America who they can call on for insights and advice for years to come. Think Transit will take place from March 24th through 27th, 2024 at the JW Marriott Star Pass in Tucson, Arizona. If you register before January 31st, 2024, you'll be eligible for incredible cost savings with the early bird discount. To register, visit www.trapezegroup.com forward slash Think Transit. What a great interview with Eddie Robar. Now let's head over to the Kathleen Andrews Garage where we take a tour walking through it with the GM, Carrie Houghton McDonald. Carrie, thanks for having us in. This is an amazing garage. Tell us about it. Oh, we're so excited that you're here. So this is our Kathleen Andrews Transit Garage. It's our newest bus garage that we have uh, within ETS service. Kathleen Andrews is an inspiration. She's our first woman transit operator. She joined us in the 1970s. It was a very different time. She had a very difficult start. Uh, her daughter actually works for us now. She's a training instructor. And we're just really excited that the garage was named after her. So in the garage, we actually have some memorabilia. It's a little bit of an archive of some of our history, which is really cool. So ETS has been around for about 115 years. Um, and over those years, staff have contributed. So we can see examples. Uh, as you can see, we have pictures on the wall showing lots of history, uh, looking at uh, news articles, pictures of the old fleet. And you have um, Canada's first light rail system. And it's newest light rail system, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we rode that oldest, last night. Exactly. We have the oldest LRT. Uh, those cars are going to be replaced uh, in a few years, thanks to some funding that we oh, just good. got. Oh, great. And then we have the newest with the Valley Line Southeast, uh, which is more of a low floor, urban style LRT, helping people connect. Uh, and we're just really excited to have both. So within the garage for operators, when they come in for work, they actually get to come to this beautiful dispatch area. And they sign in for their shift, and then they're able to go out back uh, to get to their buses in the morning. Uh, we have their running boards and everything ready for them right adjacent to uh, this, this area. And then at the end, we also have their operator lounge. And the operator lounge is super cool. Let's go. Let's check it yeah, out. Yeah, let's take a look. Yeah. So our operators use this space. So when they have a break, when they come off of the morning peak, or maybe at the end of their shift, they can come in here, get a drink, they can heat up their food. Play they a little pool. Play some I see you got pool. a pool table in here. Yeah. Exactly. They get to hang out, chill out, enjoy this space. And we're just really pleased. And I think going forward, making sure that we have sufficient space so people can relax, decompress after yeah. their shift, yeah. get themselves ready to, to head out. So we're really pleased with this space. That's great. So we're walking in the garage right here. You've got lots of buses around. Uh, they are a beautiful blue color up top that says Edmonton Transit Service on it and then gray on the bottom half. But do you separate them from the electric ones, from the diesel ones here in this indoor garage where you have all your vehicles parked? We do because of the overhead charging infrastructure. We have, as you can see, a whole corridor dedicated for our electric fleet. Okay. So you can see that 
the overhead charging pantograph comes down, makes contact with the bus. So we have them all lined up together. And how many buses in total in your entire fleet here at Edmonton Transit? That's a great question. So we have about 1,100 conventional buses uh, in the fleet. And then we also have, uh, on the paratransit side, we have another set uh, of the smaller paratransit buses. So this is where we have our charging infrastructure. So okay. again, in depot, first in North America to take this approach. And you can see the pantographs come down from the ceiling and they make contact with the bus and then they charge the bus's battery, which is really cool to see. We can accommodate up to about 50 buses that are battery electric in this facility with the charging infrastructure. So I believe there's about 22 different units that we have in this particular corridor. That's great. And so it takes about four hours and then you move some of them out and the other group comes in? Exactly. That's exactly what it provides. So when they come in from service, they go through the bus wash and then they're able to come and uh, line up in the garage, just like any other buses. Yeah. Uh, but the difference being they have this overhead pantograph charged yeah. batteries. And did you have to like specially wire this garage, I'm sure, for the power that would be required? For sure. What was really exciting is we were working on the garage. And then we really kind of zeroed in on the opportunities for that in-depot charging. So things like we had to get different flooring because the buses are heavier. So we had to look at making sure the design specs met the requirements for these buses. So it was really interesting to take that into consideration during the process of planning and designing a garage. That's good. Let's walk inside one and maybe tell me about sure. inside. So I'm sitting in the operator seat here. Tell me what I need to know as an operator. Does it feel like old hands? Like yeah. you want to get behind yeah. the wheel? <laughs> I gave my CDL off a couple of years That's ago. Right. <laughs> so what's really neat about this bus, as you can see, we have our smart fare validator for fare payments. So that's okay. a regional smart fare implementation. So a person boards the bus, they're able to tap, and then they can head to the back of the bus. From an operator's perspective, it's not all that different. So we did do uh, training for the operators to help them understand kind of how the bus operates. And so it was mostly about answering questions. I think operators were wondering, like, how different is it? You know, but really a bus is a bus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, if you're a professional bus operator with us, you can definitely operate this bus safely. So the other cool feature on our buses, uh, we implemented this in 2019 on the entire fleet. Okay. So we have a retractable operator shield. Oh, yeah. Which is super cool. You know, if you think about safety and security, you think about, obviously, we went through a pandemic. Being able to raise this window up if needed, or you can leave it down to interact with your riders but this was a really important investment for us and the operators really appreciate having I it. I bet you they do. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. great. When I was in Baltimore, we put these in and uh, it really helped uh, reduce negative interactions between exactly. passengers. And, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah. Riders And I love your really sign here. It, it says zero tolerance of assaulting an operator. It's a criminal offense and offenders will be prosecuted right on the door. For sure, we, we lay out the expectation. We work closely with ATU. We have an operator uh, assault task force. We work really closely on safety and security related uh, elements. And that was one of the things that we worked together on. So Carrie, this it's very cold up here in Edmonton. I know you're, <laughs> you're like way up north uh, in Canada. Do you have to park all your vehicles inside? Yeah, it's a decision we made. So we bring all of the vehicles indoors. We are the northernmost kind of large city yeah. uh, in North America. So we definitely have winter weather. <laughs> I don't mind, uh, but some people do. Uh, so all of the vehicles come inside. So this particular facility is over 400,000 square feet. So it's quite large. Yeah. It can accommodate a big fleet, uh, which we value. We actually have another growth garage coming. Uh, we're in the planning and design stage for it that'll house 400 buses 
and it's going to be completely zero emission. So I'm really, really excited uh, yeah. about that Eddie too. Eddie was telling me about that. And mm -hmm. what's underneath this floor? That's what I think is cool too. Yeah, so underneath is actually parking for the operators. So <laughs> it's funny when people say, well, don't the operators use transit? Well, they actually operate transit. They don't necessarily have access to a bus at three in the morning or right. four in the morning. They have to come here to get exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we have underground uh, parking for them. We also have uh, all of the power systems uh, that are supporting the charging infrastructure as well. So underneath here. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Yeah. And this building, it's like shiny metal, like aluminum on the outside. Amazing. It is. Yeah. So it the really architecture, stands out. Yeah, the exactly. Architecture, yeah. Like the architecture is really cool. It had a very intentional design. Um, and we're just really proud of, you know, it blends, I think, that industrial with like a modern feel. Yeah. And again, for the people working here, the contrast with, as you know, older style transit garages. Yes. Dark, dingy, very, you know. Right. This feels super modern. Exactly. Yeah. But I like your homage to the old industrial past here. What's that big like smokestack sitting by itself? Was there yeah. an old factory there? Or there was, exactly. Right yeah. Exactly. So it's really cool. This is repurposing existing land. We wanted to protect kind of the history and heritage of it. So that old smokestack is really important and it's significant to the city. Uh, and we're just really proud to be able to have a facility like this, you know, and still preserve some of that history of the existing kind of site that we're on. So where are we at now? So this is where all of the bus maintenance activity takes place. So all of the maintenance is done in this facility. And as you can see, the spaces between bus staging where the operators right are. Door. Exactly. Yeah, in the same building. Exactly. So who so they drives get the vehicles inside the building? Does yeah. your driver bring it in and somebody else parks it? Because they're super tight in here. Yeah, no, operators get it parked, but we do have a staff person uh, working on the maintenance side who helps uh, when it's time to move buses within the space. Right. Uh, we have a position that does that. And yep. you do all the preventive maintenance as well as repair work here? That's right. Everything is done here. So we have a very, very talented maintenance team uh, and they look after all of our buses. And how has it been for you post-pandemic recruiting operators and mechanics? Yeah, we've done really well on the operator side. I think it's an attractive position. You know, we have great benefits. We have a, a ben, you know, in addition to benefits, we have a pension plan. Uh, so our numbers are good. It's just making sure that we have the HR staff to actually process right? everything oh, in a wow. timely way. Yeah. That's been my challenge. On the maintenance side, it's more difficult. So I think as we all know in the industry, it's tough to find those uh, heavy equipment techs and making sure, because we're competing with the private sector, making sure that we get access to that talent pool and that we can bring them in. Uh, so that's always an ongoing challenge. So Carrie, this building you said was very intentionally designed. Tell me about the artwork and some of the other facets of it. It's really cool. So we have public art. Uh, so on top of the building, you'll actually see these pillars that are there and they have uh, latitude and longitude uh, painted on each pillar. Okay. And it reflects mountain regions that are at the same latitude as this garage, which is so uh, unique and different. That's different, yeah, It makes people that. question, what is that? <laughs> but you can definitely see it. So as you're kind of in this area, it definitely catches your eye uh, and it's a, bit, it's a bit unique for us. That's great. Tell us a little about your brand new LRT line that just started just very recently. We got to ride it uh, to the um, uh, Edmonton Oilers game the other night. Oh, that's so good. I'm glad you tried it. So it's a low floor urban style LRT uh, that we've added to our network. So we have high floor LRT and this is a new style that we're adding. So it takes a person from downtown all the way to Mill Woods, which is a community on the southeast side of the city. And along the way, we have stops that include indigenous artwork. So you can actually do a walking tour of indigenous art. Uh, attached to it, which is super cool. 
And then the line itself, it's 30 minutes uh, for the entire trip. So 60 minute return trip, same fare as our entire network, which is great. So it's fully accessible. And what I love seeing, and I've been riding it a lot, a lot of children are on the trains. So people are using it as an opportunity to teach kids about transit. And there's so much enthusiasm, which is really cool. We've also heard stories of seniors who hadn't been downtown in years. And now they're like, well, I'm gonna hop on the train and I can get there. Workers, it connects people to a hospital that's a major employer. So people are just seamlessly traveling with transit now instead of looking at other modes. It's great. So this is another area for our staff and our operators. And what I like about it is we have kind of individual pods. Again, if people need time to kind of, you know, recoup and kind of re-energize themselves after a shift, it's a great opportunity to do that. We also have an opportunity here. Uh, if you're up for it, you can uh, yeah. do some recreational kind With of activity. Pong. Exactly. We've got yeah. ping pong and we have the operator changing rooms as well. Uh, but it's a nice big open space. Yeah, so I, I like how that. modern it looks. You got these... Uh, white square lights over top, it's high roofs, industrial looking. Exactly. Really great looking. Yeah, it's Very really, modern. really nice, exactly. Yeah. Art deco and all that. Yeah, it's awesome. We also have meeting rooms and okay. training rooms. There's your training room, yeah. Um, that are on this level as well. So okay. that provides another opportunity. Uh, so whether it's continuous training for the operators or part of the basic operator training program, uh, we can use this facility in addition to the others that we have. So we're outside the building, this phenomenal building, Carrie. I'm telling, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. It's incredible. Yeah. So this is one of six facilities that we have for ATS service. And so you've been general manager here for three and a half years since Eddie moved up to, Eddie Robar moved up to the deputy city manager. In your time as GM, what are you most proud of? Oh, I think what I'm most proud of, honestly, is just all the work that we put in as a leadership team to work with our city council. Fun fact, our mayor used to be a transit operator with us. Oh, that's great. So if anyone great. understands transit, it's definitely our mayor. So they've made important investments. So they gave us over $700 million of investments. What? And the last Holy four years, we're finally replacing the aging LRT cars. They've invested in off-peak service, which has huge equity outcomes. They've just been very generous in supporting our plans. And I think it proves that if you put your heads together can talk really uh, strategically with your governors yeah. and paint that path for them. If we do this, after that, we could do this. And then after that, we could do this. And as you look to the future over the next year or two, what are the game plans? Okay. So we're growing our mass transit network. It's bigger than LRT. We're looking at bus-based growth. We're going to grow our service hours to serve more people. And that's what I'm most proud of, is that they have the confidence in us and everything that we're bringing forward. That's great. Well, thank you so much for having us here today awesome. and showing us your amazing Kathleen Grudge. <laughs> this is great. What a great story. And uh, we wish you all the best as you awesome. continue to go forward. Oh, thank you so much, Paul. It's been great. Hi, this is Tris Hussey, editor of the Transit Unplugged podcast. And thank you for listening to this week's episode. And a special thanks to our two guests, Eddie Robar and Carrie Houghton McDonald. Now, coming up next week, we stay in Edmonton and at CUDA with Arthur Nicolette, CEO of TransDev Canada. Paul is in conversation with Arthur about what contracting means for delivering transit, not just in Canada, but around the world. And don't worry, we're not done yet for this year. We still have our year-end wrap-up and a special bonus episode that we think you're going to really enjoy. While you're listening to the podcast, we have a favor to ask. Take a moment and rate and review Transit Unplugged wherever you get your podcasts. Rating and reviewing the show helps other people find Transit Unplugged and become part of our transit enthusiast community. If you have a question or a comment, 
or just want to be a guest on the show, feel free to email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. Transit Unplugged is brought to you by Medaxo. At Medaxo, we're passionate about moving the world's people. And at Transit Unplugged, we're passionate about telling those stories. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.